So welcome to this episode of Anesthesia on Air, the podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name is Cathy Lawson and I'm a consultant anaesthetist and intensivist at Darlington Memorial Hospital and the James Cook University Hospital. Today I'm joined by my friend and colleague uh, Richard Hickson who is a consultant anaesthetist and intensivist at Darlington Memorial Hospital. He's also the founder of CPD Match and um, NHS Oceans. And um, we're going to talk today uh, mainly about Richard's reflections from being an attendee and speaker at COP26. But I think um, as this is the first in what will hopefully be a series of podcasts on sustainability, it might be worth us talking a little bit more about um, what we've what we've achieved and, and what we've done over the last little bit of time with regards to sustainability. So, um, Richard, as you are the interviewee, I think you uh, you should go first. Oh, thanks, Cathy. Um, yeah, well, I mean, uh, as you know, I've, I've been uh, really in the kind of sustainability sphere for a few years now, um, really started about four years ago when uh, I certainly realised that we didn't have a green plan within my own trust and, and little clue on how to proceed. Um, so after resigning from pretty much every job that I had within the trust, apart from my clinical role and, and self-appointing myself sustainability lead, it's been quite a roller coaster since. Um, certainly from the point of view of our own trust, obviously formulation of green plans, action plans for work within the integrated care system regionally, which I think has been a, a really exciting development over the last couple of years. Um, and that certainly is, is very much taking shape as a uh, as as a main driver uh, for sustainability across the region, uh, especially when we look very much more at kind of community services and social care, etc. And uh, then you know my journey kind of took me to uh, Durham County Council, where I work with their emergency strategic board on climate change, to the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare and the amazing team there as a trustee, and then ultimately to uh, NHS England um, and working with their sustainable procurement and supplier engagement uh, teams. Um, we're uh, under the banner of, of, of formerly what was known as NHS Ocean and now is known as Healthcare Ocean. Yes, which is um, something that was, it's really inspired me watching that grow and watching you really take that, take the reins on that one and um, drive things forward to looking at how we can be more sustainable and careful with our oceans and oceanic health it's certainly not something that I really have focused on very much in my sustainability journey, but it would be great if we could hear a little bit more about healthcare ocean and um, what, as you say, was what was formerly branded as NHS Ocean when it when it first started a little while ago. It would be great to hear a little bit more about that. Well, it's um, yeah, it was it was one of those things that just very much grew organically. Um, and it, it just seemed to find its place. Uh, again, you know, we're talking really just a couple of years ago when I was I was kind of, you know, hitting one of those low points when reading about sustainability, yeah. where I was reading everything I possibly could, and I just fell into this kind of, this this kind of depressive state. Just, totally, totally. I felt completely <laughs> like everything was just running away. Yeah. And you know, you you, you pick up a calculator and started doing the maths on tree coverage uh, across the world and the carbon sequestration capacities and the numbers just didn't work you know and no. I just couldn't see how we were honestly going to make progress but I'd always been a real amateur ocean enthusiast scuba <laughs> diver, just absolutely loved marine wildlife and as I was reading all it kept 
reinforcing the stuff that I was reading was that we were not talking about oceans. Yeah. And I, I just had this 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 hunch that we were missing something. So I started to look very much more at the kind of biochemistry and the ecosystems within our um, uh, the marine environment. And I just realized that number one, they were at, they were in at risk just so much more than I ever realized, uh, not just through ocean acidification, which results as we we overwhelm the the oceanic um, uh, uh, phytoplankton where they simply cannot photosynthesize enough as we kind of put more CO2 into the atmosphere. And uh, obviously the, the CO2 absorbs into, into the ocean and, and, and acidifies um, this environment, which then leads to uh, incredible destruction, but then um, through pollution as well, uh, especially molecular pollution, um, which um, uh, certainly does at least as much harm as CO2 and probably more. Yeah. So I, I was seeing this real problem but then I started to come across these amazing facts about ocean sequestration capacity and how quickly the oceans can bounce back from these insults. Um, but they weren't being mentioned in human healthcare strategy. Yeah. And so I started at every single meeting I went to, I started putting my hand up and saying, well, hold on, why aren't we talking about the, the role of oceans? Um, because um, they directly impact upon human health and well-being. They, uh, as oceans become less healthy, so do we, and the demands on healthcare services rise. So why don't we talk about oceans in, in some of our strategies too? And I spent about six months with people looking at me like I'd gone largely crazy. And then I was really lucky on an integrated care system meeting to, to meet Georgie Soman, a GP from Northumbria, who afterwards just said, oh my God, you've mentioned oceans. I feel uh -huh. the same. And from there, Healthcare Ocean was born. And um, the last year has been just an incredible roller coaster because it's one of those areas that people weren't considering. I mean, for example, oceanic acidification gets less than 5% of the coverage of atmospheric CO2 pollution. Yeah. And it wasn't on people's radars. And it no. just seemed to be an incredible opportunity that was presenting to us. And you've, you've really hit the nail on the head there because, you know, my, my sustainability journey started maybe just a couple of years ahead of yours in 2015 when I was elected onto the trainee committee at the Association of Anaesthetists and sat on what was then the environment and sustainability um, environmental task group sorry and then has subsequently become the environment and sustainability committee and um, you know I had no idea how harmful anaesthesia was um, but what we talk about mainly, um, you know, and, and when we're thinking about how harmful anaesthesia is, uh, we're talking about clinical carbon hotspots in terms of our anaesthetic gases. We're talking about CO2 emissions a lot. Um, and actually what we're not talking about are all of the other environmental harms and pollutions that are caused as a result of the healthcare that we provide. Um, and, and the NHS um, net zero plan which is an excellent roadmap to get us started on this journey to um, embed sustainable healthcare principles and to meet to start to work towards meeting our net zero targets focuses mainly on carbon emissions and, and I think you're quite right in what you say that by just solely focusing on that we're missing out on so much more particularly when we really think about the supply chain and procurement and look at those um, pie charts that are included in the NHS Net Zero report, which break down really nicely into percentages where our emissions come from in terms of healthcare. And, and two thirds of those emissions come from the supply chain. And where, 
how does the supply chain get to our islands? The vast majority of it comes via ships across the oceans, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 80% of our NHS goods are shipped in on container ships. And um, the the important thing to kind of recognize with this is that, you know, container shipping, you know, that it's actually an incredible force for good. Not only does it deliver the vast majority of our healthcare supplies and, you know, to put it put it into context, you know, if all this was air freighted around the world, the harm would be absolutely huge. Yeah. The carbon cost of shipping these, these individual items is absolutely tiny. Um, but we use trillions and trillions of items every year. and We're not the only country. So yeah. the, the cumulative carbon cost of shipping is, is extremely large. It's about a, a gigaton of, of CO2 production every year. About two and a half percent of global carbon output is, is container shipping. It's equivalent to all aviation. Uh, but interestingly, it's only 50% of what healthcare produces. So healthcare produces about two gigatons a year globally. So uh, actually, if we, you know, if we look at good guys and bad guys, you know, the shipping industry certainly isn't, you know, uh, uh, emitting as much CO2 as healthcare. So it, it kind of puts yeah. it in perspective. Yeah, it kind of brings back brings us back to the point that um, in the quest for providing healthcare, we're causing a lot of harm to our patients because of the harm that we're causing to our environment um, as well. I think maybe we should go on to hearing a little bit more about your experiences at COP. Um, but firstly, I want to explain a little bit about what COP actually is and what it means. So um, I'm sure that most people have at least heard the of COP26, um, which was um, the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference. And that happened in November 2021 in Glasgow, actually. Um, and for nearly three decades now, the United Nations has been bringing together almost every country on Earth for global climate summits, which are called COPs, C-O-P, which stands for Conference of the Parties. Um, and over the last three decades, it's fair to say that when these conferences and, and meetings started out, um, climate change was really quite a fringe issue. But um, we've really seen it. And I've certainly noticed this. I'm not sure if you feel the same, Richard, that, that over the last at least two to three years, um, you, we've really seen that lens focus in on, on climate change as becoming more of um, a global priority and less of this fringe issue. And, and at these conferences, these meetings, um, it's a meeting of world leaders, thousands, tens of thousands of negotiators, government representatives, businesses and citizens, and they all come together for 12 full days of talks. And, and what we were hoping from COP26, there was a lot of... Um, pressure and focus on it really because most experts believe that this COP26 um, it has a unique urgency to it. Um, at 2021 when COP was in Paris uh, we gave the, the, the world agreed to targets that it would meet as part of the Paris Agreement to make sure that we limited global warming to less than one and a half degrees C above um, pre-industrial temperatures. And, and what's been becoming apparent over the subsequent years since then is that that actually, well, it's a kind of a drop in the ocean, to pardon the pun, with us talking about oceanic health and whatnot. We're not going to achieve what we need to to make sure we limit that 1.5 degree C global warming. Um, so we need, to, we need to do more. And this next decade is going to be crucial for that as experts have warned us, scientific experts um, have warned us that if we have less than a decade to mitigate against the effects of climate change, because if we actually reach this one and a half degrees C above 
um, pre-industrial temperatures, we will reach a tipping point beyond which on any changes that we make will be pointless and useless. We won't, we will set a course of actions um, in place that we cannot reverse. So Richard, you went to COP for four days and you had four speaking slots. Um, as I understand it. Uh, one was with the Centre Scientifique de Monaco. Um, you were met with the Clean Arctic Alliance, um, Lloyd's Register, which is a, a ship safety company, and Bureau Veritas, which is also to do with uh, marine safety, uh, marine and offshore safety for the, the ships and the seafarers too. So I'd be really interested to hear about your experiences um, of COP and, and what you thought about it and what you, what you talked about and, and also what you learned. Thanks, Cathy. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, we ne we never quite planned for COP during our first year of of, of healthcare ocean. Um, we just we spoke a lot, and we we started to form networks. And we started one of the one of the networks we started forming was with the shipping industry because I had to understand container shipping. I had to understand um, how they were approaching the climate crisis because just for the links with obviously healthcare procurement. So. It was it was quite I was kind of quite stunned when suddenly Lloyd's Register, I think it was first, and then Clean Arctic Alliance and Seas at Risk kind of said, well, look, you know, we'd really like you to talk about the healthcare, um, the healthcare risk of climate change or health and healthcare risk of climate change. And, you know, this this start, you know, this started me thinking very much about how to how to start framing the risks of climate change in terms of health and healthcare delivery, and then obviously procurement. Um, after I got the first two invites, I thought, well, that's great. Um, you know, I've got a presence at COP. And then a third invite came in uh, for Bureau Veritas and Smart Green Shipping. Um, so I thought, wow, three invites, can't get any better. Mm -hmm. And at two days notice, I got the invite from Monaco. So I had to kind of speed up my thinking somewhat and, and start really thinking about what the pitch here was because this was a, an opportunity like no other. So the the first two presentations were in the in the blue zone. Uh, so it's the UN controlled zone. So a lot of security to get in, big queues on the first day, World Leaders Day, et cetera. Hadn't met anybody that, uh, apart from in Teams calls that I was going to be meeting when I was there. Uh, had absolutely no idea that, that on day one, I, I would also be pitching Healthcare Ocean to uh, Prince Albert II uh, from Monaco, who was sat on the front row. So it was a real baptism of fire. It was totally overwhelming. It's like an enormous trade show, just the most unbelievable, loud, busy trade show where your speaker slots are very much, um, they're very open. So you've got people wandering past and there's a lot of distractions. It's very difficult yeah. to do a pitch um, and you have very limited minutes and everything's run really regimentally. So you've, you've only got a limited time to, to really get things across. So I've got to say, I was totally overwhelmed, um, totally out of my comfort zone, um, but really wanted to get this strong message across. So I basically presented the same thing four times. Mm -hmm. um, I presented that the climate crisis is a health crisis. The climate crisis is a health care crisis. It, it will, through uh, interruptions to supply chains, to um, uh, increased demands on healthcare systems, it will cause health care to fail, which will then cause health to fail. That this was very personal and that shipping uh, as part of our procurement process was absolutely instrumental in finding solutions because not only does shipping put out a gigaton of carbon or CO2 every year, 
Um, these big ships, they cause a lot of oceanic noise. They lead to uh, increased marine pollution, marine mammal collisions, taking, you know, killing whales, which then takes them out of providing this critical uh, element of the carbon pump and um, transfer of invasive species between regions, which cause significant ecosystem destruction. So I was talking to the shipping industry about why this mattered to human healthcare and why this was important to us, because if they were harming the oceans and this was avoidable, this was going to put additional strain on human healthcare services and cause people to become less healthy, which causes additional strain on human healthcare services, more procurement, more shipping. Mm. And we enter this kind of like positive feedback loop, which we have to break or it will break itself, you know, in with an inability of us to provide healthcare. So that was number one. Uh, number two, I was then really highlighting the the role of molecular pollution and how this is just um, an, an unseen danger um, to the oceanic ecosystems. And this was reaching out to more than just container shipping. This was really kind of trying to educate everyone, largely on the work of the Ghost Foundation, who we've spent a lot of time talking to um and um really bringing this into the thought processes of those present because if you become too distracted by carbon and you don't think about molecular pollution and healthy biosphere and nature then whilst we're looking at carbon what we could see is the complete collapse of the marine ecosystem within the next 20 years due to molecular pollution and what that essentially means is the molecular pollution will destroy primary oceanic production, which is basically um, phytoplankton, cocolithophores, perchlorococcus um, and uh, copepods. And, you know, if we lose this biomass from the ocean, then its ability to mitigate the CO2 that we produce decreases and it therefore increases acidification, which decreases the pH, which causes further loss of biomass. And again, you enter this 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 positive exactly. feedback loop. Um, so from the point of view of acidification and molecular pollution and its impact on human health and well-being and the fact that we're probably only 20 years off a tipping point in the oceans for um, the loss of, of primary, sorry, the loss of carbon at based life forms, then, you know, this was a, a huge urgency. But we also wanted to drive home the message that actually healthy oceans, coasts and inland waterways had significant benefits to human health and well-being and can decrease the demands on human healthcare services. So actually, healthier oceans can decrease the need to bring in all these goods, etc. So I was presenting this message, you know, on four occasions, first two in the blue zone, in the blue zone, I was preaching to the converted, you know, mm -hmm. the people who come along, they're, they're not going to give you any trouble. Everybody nods and everybody kind of says, yeah, absolutely, really important, yeah, must be on the agenda. Let's move this forward. You get lots of business cards and mm -hmm. lots of connections and lots of Zoom calls and fantastic. So you feel really great. So these were the, sorry to interrupt your flow there so okay. these just for the benefits of the audience were the talks and the talks in the blue zone were with the um centre scientifique de monaco and the um clean arctic alliance yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so you know have you say preaching to the converted yeah complete easy pitch <laughs> you know everybody's on your side so but the it's second great starter in terms of for your confidence if you're feeling overwhelmed and out of your comfort zone totally yeah absolutely you know when everyone's nodding and giving the thumbs up and you yeah. know 
ordered and everyone that you know is watching and uh -huh. you know it's kind of yeah it was great because there's no, there's no there's no um uh, there's no difficult questions there's uh you know there's there's no kickback on the presentations mm -hmm. whatsoever but the second week was an interesting one because this was actually at the south rotunda uh which is owned by the malin group which is a shipbuilder in glasgow okay. and the audience was the shipping industry mm. so um uh, they were organised, like like we said, by Lloyd's and, and Bureau Veritas. But the people in the audience were they're from the International Maritime Organisation, the Global Maritime Forum. Um, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the uh, um, obviously uh, ship owners um, yeah. and uh, charities as well. So you did have a, a slightly easier audience in things like um, uh, the uh, whale and dolphin conservation uh, and. Um, uh, and orca and, and and groups like that. So you had you had a, an audience that you knew were going to be on your side. And then I had the shipping industry. So yes. I'm standing up there and talking about the harm they produce and the impact on human health and well-being. And I expected to kind of be turned into a human pinata uh, <laughs> afterwards, but um, it, it didn't happen. And okay. So, I had these people on my table saying that's really interesting. We'd not thought about shipping in terms of human healthcare. Oh, okay. So, you know, yeah, you, you have these very influential people who are involved in a global industry that is worth about, I think it's something like twelve to fourteen trillion dollars a year. You know, more than the entire human healthcare industry, shipping ninety percent of global goods absolute you know they it's it ships you know so much food around the the world to feed billions it maintains economies in the farthest reaches of the world and yet they hadn't fully appreciated quite how much influence they had over the environment and over human health so i started saying to these guys look you are providers of healthcare you deliver our goods to enable us to provide healthcare. And you know what? If you change your fuels from residual fuels to distillate fuels, you can save millions of lives every year. So you could probably do more good as a healthcare provider in terms of being the shipping industry than I can be as a doctor. Yeah. And I started to try and reframe things a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and they were just really interested. And it was just like week one. Suddenly, you know, the business cards came, people wanted to talk. And um, we've now got lots of plans for 2022 for next steps. And uh, these plans involve um, these uh, groups that we met at the South Rotunda on that second week. Wow. I mean, that's just it's incredible. And it's you and this journey that you've been on are really such an inspiration to me. Um, and I know um, I'm not on my own in terms of that. Your other colleagues are really proud of everything that you've um, achieved and being representation uh, at COP. Um, as, as part of that I think it's it's great what, to hear what you're saying I kind of found some similar things with the fellowship it's quite frightening in some ways that this is a 26th COP now we've been they've been having this conference for 26 years and yet there are still so many new things that are coming out of it and in some really big industries in terms of not re this realization of how harmful um our industries are in terms of to the environment it's the same with with healthcare I, I really felt at the beginning when I when I did um for those of you that don't know I, I did a fellowship in sustainable anesthesia with the association of anesthetists and center for sustainable Healthcare, 
in um, 2019, February 2019 into August 2020. And at the beginning of that, I really felt like we were kind of ahead of things, like everything was in control. I got a plan of how I was going to go out there and spread the word. And then everyone kind of cottoned on to what was happening and that sustainable anaesthesia was important and how harmful um, our practices were to the environment. Um, and by September, it kind of overtaken me um, because we all we all know how long these some of these things, educational tools and guidance documents and and stuff takes to um, get through the pipelines and, and get up and running. And I'd gone from feeling very much ahead of things to as you felt maybe a little bit um, when you went to COP a little bit overwhelmed. But I think you've highlighted a really important point there about um, when you're going in to deliver a message to a group of people, it can't always be the same you've got to kind of reframe that there and um certainly that's what i've said to when i was get asked a question about desflurane um because <laughs> obviously um as part of my fellowship we were looking in the first instance at low-hanging fruit um and anesthetic gases being um greenhouse gases and and stuff and desflurane being particularly bad um everyone always asks like how do you do we should we ban desflurane and and like i think you can't go in and say that you've really got to look at your audience and and see where they're up to in their journey and if they're just starting out and haven't really even thought about these things before you've got to give them um time to process it and some frame it as an opportunity to make yeah. some amazing changes more than any of us would i mean in, in terms of anesthesia the changes that we can make there and the savings that we can make completely blight anything that you could do at home if you recycled everything and had a perfect personal life in terms of living sustainably you could then go and use desflurane at work for a day and completely ruin it for the next year or two yeah absolutely uh, it's it's really important to get this 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 framing of um the problem correct and perhaps reframing the way that we think about it um yeah. and you know i'm i'm you know absolutely love what greener nhs are doing nick watts fantastic guy great leader you know really inspirational work and yeah i couldn't go to the shipping industry and just say net zero i couldn't do that so you know i very much had to kind of like say to them you know why why are you why are you aiming for net zero why bother mm -hmm. and actually take them a step further and say the reason you're aiming for net zero is because what you're actually aiming for here is is healthy planet and yeah. net zero helps us get to a healthy planet it, it helps us get to where we were before you know that that meteoric rise in the 1950s of co2 and uh, mm. uh carbon output um which ironically you know it's it's the start of the container shipping industry as well roughly about that time uh, but also the start of the kind of chemical revolution you know when we started you know yeah. developing chemicals and forever chemicals that are now in our ecosystem so when you kind of said to them that you know you've got to imagine a healthy planet then imagine your ships floating on that sea and not harming that healthy planet mm. and you've got to design that ship to float on that healthy ocean you know so you you take it a little bit away from net zero and the numbers and just kind of create a slightly more abstract picture yeah. but one that they can hopefully imagine and I've been really lucky that the NHS England and the procurement team over the last year they've really listened to this concept so mm -hmm. their evergreen supplier framework which is the framework which describes how we will interface with our 80,000 suppliers in January, when we start trialing this, one of the questions is there in there is about sustainable shipping. And oh, that brilliant. will provide us with the, the hook to develop things further, yeah. <laughs> to start looking at nature and having our suppliers think seriously 
about policy procurement note 620 fighting climate change the clause within that that talks about environmental uh, protection and most importantly improvement so it's mm. not good enough to stand still we've got to reverse 70 years of yeah. incredible consumerism and the creation of these forever chemicals and look at how we unravel this and get us back to a healthy biosphere um so with the support of nhs england and this power within the healthcare brands, the healthcare leverage, the healthcare buying power of the billions and billions it spends, we've got an opportunity like no other. And yeah. what was fantastic was health was central to COP. You know, oh, suddenly great. the penny had dropped. Health and healthcare was right front and centre, and everybody started talking about it. Oh, it sounds amazing. I wish I could have been there. I bet the atmosphere was just great and I think um, it's nice to hear these things because I know you will probably maybe similar to me in that um, you know at, at times in this sustainability journey you feel like you're doing really great things and then other times you kind of feel quite overwhelmed by the task ahead of us um, but I think actually it's really exciting to be a part of this movement at the moment um, to see what's coming and the innovation and the technologies that will come to help to regreen our planet, um, including our oceans over the, the next few years, hopefully sooner rather than later. And I feel really privileged to be um, to be a part of that. I think it's great. And hopefully one of the subsequent podcasts in this series will um, cover in detail maybe about um, sustainable quality improvement and how we um, how there is a framework out there that we can uh, measure what we do and, and changes that we make to our um, processes and procedures within healthcare to ensure that we're um, being as sustainable as, as possible, uh, which which would be great. Um, I think we're kind of reaching the end of our time now. So my la final question to you is: um, if you could sum up COP in three words, uh, what would what would they be? Wow. Um, well, yeah. Interesting. I thought about this um, when I was there because um, I, I thought this was it was really important to be able to kind of summarize because when asked about COP, you know, like I said, it, it was so overwhelming. It was it was kind of hard to convey, you know, what what it meant to me. Um, mm. But to be honest, the three words for me would be health, collaboration and nature. Um, health is front and centre, you know, health and healthcare. Absolutely. It's personal. You know, it's when climate change becomes personal, when it affects our health and we have to tap into those emotions. Collaboration. Uh, we're working with absolutely everybody through Healthcare Ocean. You know, we're a, we're, we're a, a fairly small lean organisation. Um, by lean, we don't even have a bank account. Um, so um, but so we have no conflicts of interest. So we work with everybody and collaboration between private and public sector will become increasingly important mm -hmm. and nature-based solutions. You know, we need people to be healthier. We need the planet to be healthier and um, nature is front and center to that. We need nature. We need to work with nature um, to achieve this because we won't be able to tech our way out of this completely. It will help, but it's not the, the total solution. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point there that um, I think sometimes when you talk about sustainability, people are looking for some kind of magic bullet um, and, and there isn't one. It's, it's a, a series of things that we need to do to, um, as you say, get ourselves out of this situation that we've got ourselves into. 
Well, thank you so much, Richard, uh, for your time and for such an interesting discussion about um, sustainable oceans and your reflections on, on COP26. I've, I really, really enjoyed chatting with you about this. Um, further information is available at um, Healthcare Oceans on their website and also they've got a Twitter page that you can follow with the handle at Oceans and Us. So thank you very much for listening and until next time, goodbye. Thanks, Cathy. Thank you for listening to Anesthesia On Air from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or you'd like to feature in the podcast, please email podcast at rcoa.ac.uk. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts, as well as videos, e-learning, webinars, and our program of events and courses, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon. Please note, all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.